Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nearly a hundred years ago, British economist John Maynard Keynes predicted that by now we'd all be working 15-hour weeks and that the biggest crisis people would face would be what to do with all their spare time. By the 1950s, modern conveniences were meant to make life easier, but today most of us still work more than 40 hours a week and according to the last census, nearly 10% of New Zealanders worked more than 60 hours. Sports clubs and social clubs are on the decline and there's the constant nagging worry at how much time we all spend looking at screens. I'm Megan Whelan and this is Great Ideas. Last season we looked at the revolutionary ideas of the past. This time round we're asking what the great ideas of the future will be. We'll look at work and food and what's happening to our biggest city. This episode, though, the future of leisure. I'm joined by three knowledgeable people from AUT and I've asked them to tell us their favourite game. I'm Scott Duncan, I'm an Associate Professor of the School of Sport and Recreation at AUT, and my favourite game when I was a child is one that's been almost systematically banned around the country, and that's Bull Rush. Hi, my name's Sharon Davies, and I'm an Associate Professor in the School of Social Sciences and Public Policy. Uh, And actually, interestingly, last night at karate, my husband teaches, and they played Bull Rush at karate, which my kids were very thrilled to come home and tell me about. Uh, But our favourite game, actually, as a family, is Animal Snap. And instead of playing just normal snap, where you have to put your cards down and snap when you get two of the same number, you have to make animal noises for the snap. And if you do a wrong snap, you have to get up and do 10 front kicks. That does not sound like fun. (laughs) Hi, my name is Eric Landis. I'm also in the School of Social Sciences and Public Policy. I'm one of three psychologists there. Um, And I've been thinking about my favourite game, and it's a bit tricky for me because we've been playing a few games at the moment because I have a couple of daughters with chicken pox at the moment. And a way of uh, distracting them is that when uh, my first daughter had chicken pox, we spent the entire day playing last card with her, which she is now completely obsessed with. Uh, And the other game that we're playing a lot at the moment is Connect Four, which again is what the kids are really getting into. We should start with a definition. What do we mean by leisure? Do we mean time spent not working or time spent doing something fun? Well, as far as I'm aware, leisure essentially refers to any time you're not trying to survive, not trying to work or, or feed yourself or do anything that, that requires survival. Um, recreation is a little bit different. It's a form of leisure, but it's one where it's generally related to some sort of exercise or some targeted activity, um, whereas leisure can mean a whole range of things. And the definition does shift a little bit as well. It's mm. quite loose. Because, Sharon, one of the things I mentioned at the beginning is, is this idea of modern conveniences was meant to make it, especially for women, was meant to make mm-hmm. life easier. And yet we do more housework now than we did in the 1950s. Our houses are cleaner than they were then. Mm-hmm. We didn't actually get back any of that time. Yes, mm-hmm. no, there is still a real obsession with 
cleanliness. And it is literally, if your toilet is not clean and someone comes to visit, it won't be the men in the household who are you know, accused of not having a clean house. It will always be implicitly or not that the women in the house are not cleaning it properly. Not doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. We mentioned in the um, in the previous series of Great Ideas right at the beginning that um, leisure, the idea of leisure, the idea of not having to just spend all of your time surviving is a relatively new idea. Eric, I'm going to throw this one at you. Is it only recently? Is it um, is it going to endure? Will we still have uh, leisure time in the 21st century? We're in the 21st century. In the 22nd century? Or is the 20th century an aberration? What, you're suggesting that we're going to have less and less leisure time in the future? Yeah, I'm, my brave new world is just that we all end up working all of the time. I'm not sure that we're working all the time. I think the way that we work has actually changed quite a lot. I think we have a lot more leisure time. I mean, it's, it's about hard for me to talk about this because I have a very unique job, I think, um, but I feel I have a lot more leisure time within my job and I think our jobs, uh, our work is a lot more flexible. So, yes, I do more work at home. Um, I think one of the reasons we do more work at home and outside the normal nine to five is because of the devices that we have. I mean, I I have a phone, I have an iPad that work gave me because they thought it'd be good for me to have an iPad, but I know full well that one of the reasons for that is that I'll be contactable on email a lot easier. So I I think work has just changed. Um, My work is quite flexible. I think generally work has become more flexible. So I think there's the way you divide your work time and your leisure time has, has changed, and I think technology is responsible for that. So I, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that we have less leisure time. I think it's just changed. As we uh, as the robots take over, which we are discussing in another episode <laughs> on the future of work, but as the robots or the monkeys take over, um, are we, is there increasing, is there, are we going to have to be more concerned about that idea of, constantly being contactable uh, by that iPad that your work gave you? Um, Or do we need to set boundaries around that? I I do worry about the devices and how they are taking over our lives. It's one of the... One of my interests, I'm I'm, I'm concerned about how much time children are spending on devices. Um, It it is now common practice for schools to have iPads. I've got two daughters who are in school... um, the school that they're in, they, they have iPads. They don't have a huge amount of time on the iPads, but I know other schools now have this compulsory requirement that they need to bring devices. Um, I, When I walk around, I see how much time people spend on their devices. I went to the beach um, earlier this year, and I saw three girls that were on the beach. This was early in the morning, and they were... I, I, I was watching them... We were walking up and down the beach and we were watching them for about three quarters of an hour while we were walking and all they were doing was taking pictures of themselves pretending to have fun instead of actually having fun, mm. which just seemed bizarre to me. Well, maybe yeah. taking a picture of yourself is fun. I don't think okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think it bridges into the whole social media revolution that we've had and that we have a, a society now which is, is trying to outdo each other on social media and on Facebook. Which means that the the traditional activities that we as humans naturally love, being in nature, doing wild things, they seem to be dulled down because there's always a cell phone in the pocket and there's always, hey, this would be great for my friends. Look how cool I look doing this stuff on the beach. Um, And you end up experiencing nature through a lens, which isn't your own lies. So I'm also concerned, and I often say this would be the first generation of children we're raising that can unlock an iPad before they can walk. One of the things here and I was thinking about is that a lot of the stuff that we do on those devices uh, that we maybe think of as leisure 
are very different to what my grandparents would have thought of as leisure. So if I'm watching a movie on my iPad, it's a very different experience to watching a movie in a theatre where I got dressed up to go and it was a thing that I did for that week. If I'm listening to music on my phone, it's very different, a very different experience to being in a, um, uh, in a gig with a club with other people. And I wonder if a lot of what we do as leisure now has become so much more solitary. We just don't spend as much time with other people. It has, it has, absolutely. Like a lot of the things that we do for engagement now are very much contained within a very limited visual space. And what's missing out from that is just a whole lot of movement, a whole lot of interaction, um, and even going to things where they could be quite solitary before going to a movie. There was something about that shared experience of looking at a screen and being in a room uh, together that you don't get from just looking at a screen or having earphones on. So even though the world is getting more populated and more crowded and people are living in cities and urban spaces, so amidst all of that population, we're kind of cocooning Mm. ourselves in many ways. One of my career goals is to bring back Top Town, Um, And mostly because I like the idea of people making fools of themselves, but also just because I remember from my childhood that Top Town was one of those things where everyone would stop and watch and everyone knew that it was going on. And we had two TV channels back in my day. Um, We had two TV channels and so everyone stopped and watched it. And even that, we don't have that kind of experience anymore, Eric, do we? Everything is, you know, if you're watching, but lots of people still obviously watch TV, but uh, lots of people more and more are watching it time-shifted. One of the things that I think about is what these devices and what the technology is doing uh, to the way that we socialise. And, and my concern is really about children. When children are spending four, five, six, I mean, I've heard figures of up to sort of eight, nine, ten hours on devices. Um, if you're on a device, you're not interacting with another person. So if you're a three, four, five-year-old kid and you're spending that much time not interacting with people, there's a lot of stuff you're not learning, um, it, particularly in, in relation to social cues and, and social behaviour. One of the things I've noticed from the work we've done with kids, um, and to a certain extent adolescents, is that there's this oversimplification of devices and screens. We know that there's a problem with the excessive screen time. We know that too much screen time isn't good for people. Um, it's pretty straightforward. But the oversimplification occurs when people assume that all screens are therefore bad and that we should not let kids use screens at all. We, we should um, not look at the benefits of screens, the benefits of devices, the benefits of, of the internet. Um, but there are a whole heap, heap of benefits and, and positive things. It's just a matter of moderation and balancing it so that they actually also get those outdoor experiences. They get to play in the mud, they get to be in the rain, all that extra cool stuff that they don't miss out on. And there is a future uh, of the technology here, Eric. Your point about, um, you know, you are contactable constantly, there's an app you can download to make it so that you can't get into your email outside mm. work outside mm. work hours. So is the future um, recog- you know, developing technology that forces us or, or even developing policy that forces us into that kind of balance? Well, the technology is new and we don't know how to use it. I mean, we're, we're, we're very immature when it comes to using the technology. I mean, iPhones have been around since, I think, 2007. Mm-hmm. Smartphones, the iPad's been around since 2010. We're talking less than a decade of this kind of technology. We're still trying to grapple with how we mm. how we deal with the technology, and absolutely, I think in in a hundred years' time, well, the technology will be completely different, but we It'll will adapt and, and we will change. Well, quite possibly there will. I mean, this this the chip in the head thing is already happening with certain things. So there is probably there's going to be a sort of an interface between you know the physical body and the computers that's going to be 
not more intrusive, but it's, it's going to be more integrated, the physical body and the computer. I, th- I think, it, I, I expect it will. I, I have no idea where it's going. I mean, Google Glass was going to be the big thing a couple of years ago. Uh, that turned out not to go anywhere. Um, we had, um, what was the, the Pikachu thing? What was it? Pokemon, oh, Pokemon, Pokemon Go was kind of trendy last year, but, but that, that lasted six months, I think. It was popular for about six months. So we don't really know where this stuff is going. But one, once it's become established, I think we'll develop norms and, and roles around, mm. around the technology. Now, I, I, I mean, we, we know screens are good because I spent most of my day in front <laughs> of a screen. I, I, mean, I, know, I know the value of having a screen, having a computer, and I know how incredibly useful they are. However, I don't necessarily want to spend you know, 16, 17 hours a day in mm. front of a screen. And it's still interesting to look. Just on the plane the other day, some people were reading on screens, but there were a lot of people with physical books. And 10 years ago, you would have thought by now with Kindles and things, no one would be reading books anymore. But there's still quite a strong attachment to books. And Scott, one of the things, I, I watched a talk with Will Self, and he talked about the author, and he talked about the fact that fun, play, which is kind of another word for leisure, but not really, um, is his words were delightfully fundamentally atemporal and he talks about that time when you're a kid and you're out playing in the streets we don't even let kids do that now but mm. you're, you're out playing and it's dusk and um you you lose track of time mm. uh and that idea of of yeah losing losing yourself in the fun mm. and his point is that we don't lose ourselves in the fun anymore a lot of what we do, a lot of those games that we play on our phones or watching something on your iPad, it's not about losing yourself. It's just about switching off your brain because mm. because we use our brain so much. Well, what it's about is avoiding boredom. So kids don't like being bored, as, as anyone will know who has kids. Um, you get that common frame on board, what's nothing to do. Um, and so with the development of devices, we, we've sort of taken boredom out of kids' lives, which is not necessarily a good thing because boredom breeds creativity and, and all sorts of fun games that, it might take a little while for them to get into, but um, it, it offers a lot more than just consuming media, you know, blindly. We did a survey of 2,000 parents not that long ago and found that um, the majority of them actually believed that it was positive for kids to run the neighbourhood, that they would learn their way around, that they would learn independence and leadership. But a very few allowed their children to do it. These are 8 to 10-year-old children, uh, 8 to 12-year-old children. So, um, and you, you know, just by looking around, that, that kids don't own the, the neighbourhood anymore. We're, bu- we're building cities for cars primarily, and um, and we don't have we don't know our neighbours very well, so we don't know who's down the road. So, which which means that we don't have the confidence to allow our kids to to experience those adventures, which form memories essentially. I mean, you think about your best memories as a kid, well, mine at least, are usually out and about doing something crazy and wild, getting into a little bit of trouble, getting a little bit scared about something. Um, all those memories. Um, if we don't allow our children to experience them, I think we're taking something out of their lives. Mm. If we just allow them to, to we're outsourcing that to, to a screen, uh, you're not going to have that memory formation. You're not going to have the, that skill development of resilience, of leadership, of creativity, all those cool things, which really, to, to, to develop that in its fullest, kids need to experience and challenge in their own in their own terms. One of my pet peeves is Lego. That, you know, when I was a kid... And I keep saying when I was a kid, and I sound like about a million years old, but anyway, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, we, we just had a bucket of Lego. We just had this mm. giant box full of Lego, and you could make anything with mm. it. And now when you buy Lego, it's a kit. It makes a specific mm. thing, and you have the yeah. pieces to make a specific thing. And it's a gendered kit. And mm. it's absolutely a gendered kit. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the pink one and the, and the yeah, kitchen no, for the Yeah, we, no, we still have Lego from when my husband was a kid. We have a big box of uh, Lego. And you can sometimes buy just the 
the boxes, but all of the kits are, mm. you know, Elsa's palace or this for girls, which are very delicate things. And then boys are, you know, much more they, interesting, they but still a kind of kit that yeah. you have to follow. You follow this mm. 10 step instruction and then you've got your thing rather than getting kids to just think about what can I do with all these blocks. And I think actually letting kids be bored is a really important point. And as a parent, if my kids are like, I'm bored, I have this initial like, oh, I have to find something for you to do. I can't let you be bored. Bored means you're not developing. It means you're not learning the second language or you're not doing music or, you know, I need to be in there. And so I have to step back and think, actually, it's good that you're bored. Mm, that's called hyper-parenting. When yeah. You, when, you, when you're uh, so embedded in your kid's development, some of it's from a positive place, some of it is from mm. um, trying to keep up a with paranoia, yeah, that yeah. you're not doing the best for your kids. Mm. If they're bored, they should be mm. instructed to do something. So it's yeah. really important for parents, you know, when I get to that point to say, it's good that you're bored. You go yeah. and find something to do. Uh, and one of my children is much better at doing that than than the other one. But, yeah, I think it's really important to empower parents to know that it's okay yeah. for your kids to be bored. Well, and adults. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's okay for adults to be bored as well. Yeah. And go and find yourself something that interests you to do. Listen to a podcast, for example. Yeah. Um, or, or, but, or play some music or learn a new thing. Yeah, or even just having quiet time where you're... Yeah, you know, are actually bored and <laughs> um, um, resolving a bit of uh, yourself with Scott. You mentioned this idea of people not or kids, especially not wandering around their neighbourhood, not finding place to go. And there must be a lot we can do with urban design as we build cities for the future to make that easier. Absolutely, and to put green spaces in places and all that. Sort yes, of thing. absolutely. And there's a whole movement. Um, it could be termed new urbanism, which is one of the the terms that people use. It's essentially creating livable cities and designing cities for people on a people scale, not for cars. So we've been, especially um, in our major cities in New Zealand, uh, we've been particularly poor at predicting um, what what communities really want and need out of a out of a neighbourhood. Um, we've done some work actually. Where we've compared our the North Shore of, New, of Auckland to uh, I think it was fourteen or fifteen other countries around the world, other cities around the world, and we came out dead last in walkability. And it's not mm-hmm. no surprise because we know how obsessed we are with cars in this in this country. Um, but there are certainly ways of building um, neighbourhoods and um, and urban planning that allows people to come together out of their houses and, and, and use community, shared community spaces. Because the main issue we have, I guess, is that we have, we build big fences, we don't know our neighbours, um, we don't really communicate, we get in our cars, we drive to work, we sit down all day at work, we come in our cars, we drive back into the garage we get in, and we sit down and watch TV. We don't have any um, need to go out in the neighbourhood, we don't have any um, desire to necessarily talk to people and we know people. Um, but kids is a really good way of actually doing that because when kids are out in the neighbourhood, parents come out and that's when parents chat is when they, their kids are yeah. playing. So facilitating an urban design philosophy that allows that to happen is really important. There are some pockets around the, the country that are doing that now in the redevelopments. Um, Hobbsville Point's quite a good example of that. I don't know if anyone's heard of that one. Or um, And the Tamaki and North, North Coat uh, developments are doing the same sort of thing, community-centred development. And it's um, really interesting to see the effects of that on, on the way people behave with each other. Sharon, part of that, so people not knowing their neighbours, people not knowing who we are, I mentioned that uh, sports clubs and social clubs and all of those things have declining memberships. How do we get back in the future to the idea of community? Because it feels a bit like we've lost communities. Mm. And I think in many places we have. A lot of suburbs are just drive-through suburbs now. They're, you know... um, 
soon as you put a fence up, it's very hard to contact your uh, neighbours. You don't even say hello as you're walking out because the fence is, is too tall. And so overcoming those things and enabling people to interact is really key. Uh, and social media can be quite useful in that. Where I live in Tiaratu, there's a really strong Facebook page and there's all sorts of community events organised and clubs and people are invited to this and that. People, if they've got too many mandarins on their uh, tree, will put them at the front of their house and post on there. So there's a real sense of community that's facilitated through online networks. And then people are actually meeting um, and having walking school buses, where the kids can get out uh, and if the kids meet each other then they're having play days and the parents are meeting. Uh, So I think kids can be really helpful in facilitating those kind of connections. I think part of the problem here is though that I I think a lot of this stems from the fact that a lot of parents overestimate the risk to their children. Mm. Um, That, you know, I I read somewhere that in America the the top concern that American parents have is that their child's going to be kidnapped, which is just incredibly unlikely to happen. Um, So I think one of the problems is that there's there's an overestimation of risk when you send your kids out to walk to school, to, to do whatever. Um, but particularly things like stranger danger, I think, are way overstated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this isn't helped by the media. Sorry, <laughs> the media. <laughs> That's yeah. fine. Uh, Just the the media is sort of partly, partly responsible for this because it's the, the rescue child or the child in trouble becomes the big story. So, you, I mean, we've got a phenomenon in psychology is known as the availability heuristic, that when, you, when you're exposed to a particular type of event and you see it... Um, more often then you overestimate the likelihood that these things happen. But, of course, the media um, presents these stories more because people are interested in seeing them. But it doesn't mean they happen more. So I think part of that is mm. there's the issue with risk, that parents overestimate risk. Mm. Uh, the other thing with play is that when kids are playing and they do get hurt, one of the things that they're learning is actually estimating their own risk. So they need to understand that if I'm climbing the tree, then there's a potential that I'm going to fall out. Whereas if, if, if the kids are constantly being told that you mm. can't climb the tree, you can't do this, you can't do that. I mean, Sharon has a <laughs> sent a nice photo around to the three of us of her um, boy who climbed to the very top of a... Norfolk. Norfolk Pine, they're huge. And there's a, there's a photograph of him at the very tippy top of the Norfolk Pine. Now, you were uncomfortable with that, but your husband was sort of applauding him yeah, and saying, this yeah. is great. But you need to, need to yeah. a child needs to learn risk. If they're constantly protected... Yeah. Then and that's my point. husband's reasoning. So he's, you know, we take the kids out in catamarans and out in the oceans and we go do a lot of tramping and a lot of climbing. And my husband is very much, they have to learn how to take risks. They have to manage that themselves. Manage the risk, yeah. um, particularly for boys, but also for girls, because once they get a bit older, you won't be with them. And if they haven't learned how to take risks in a, in a safe as possible manner, then they're going to lose out. So my husband's really keen for that. As a mum, it is quite terrifying. I have to oh, it's frightening. Have to <laughs> it's it's <laughs> terrifying to see some of the stuff that they do. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, sorry, one of the, the philosophical changes I think potentially we need to make as parents, and I'm in this boat as well, is that not all mistakes are bad. Mm. We try and prevent mistakes from happening. We try and prevent mishaps. We try and prevent accidents all the time. And of course, we don't want major accidents. But there's nothing wrong with a uh, skin knee. There's nothing wrong with falling out of a tramp. You know, uh, not not too high, obviously. But, but you know, I've had kid, I've had some tramp. things <coughs> wrong with falling out of a tree. Well, it depends. So yeah, it depends how high you go up. But um, you know, the kids need to know that their, their life has limitations, and and they will remember falling out of something and hurting themselves a lot more than us saying, be careful mm. because you might fall out of that. Is there something here to technology? And I and I don't think you could. Well, maybe you could. Could you use technology for? 
learning how to assess that risk, and I'm thinking about things like virtual reality and augmented reality, is there ways to encourage that kind of play? If parents are so terrified of the child falling out of a tree, are there ways to use the technology to do that? but there's no real consequences from that. Yeah, Yeah, I've I've done a little bit of work a while ago since I've 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 read in this area, but from what I understand, you can't simulate risk. Like, you can't... um, It has to be real risk, and the person or the child or the, the, the adult, whoever, has to understand that this is a real situation. That's when the learning happens. It's not simulating, it's not playing a computer game and, and sort of trying to work out, oh, if I go over there, I fall off, okay, I won't do that in real life. That doesn't cement in the brain. It's, it's real risk. Um, you actually have to climb trees. Um, so it's, it's something that while we're seeing it disappear out of out of the way we parent and the way our children our ch- children are growing up, we know that for certain now. We've done work on generational differences. We know for a fact that it's decreasing. Um, and the outcome of that I don't think is going necessarily going to be positive. As if we do get to what Keen's talked about, this 15-hour working week, which I don't see happening anytime soon, um, are people going to have trouble finding ways to fill their time, do you think? Or do you think we'll just fill the available time with what we have? Well, one thing, you have to not like your job, I guess, for a start, if you only want to work 15 hours. Like, I actually love my job, and I would be a bit sad if I could only work 15. I mean, I could choose what I yeah. do a bit more. Um, we are in the tremendously privileged position of having great jobs. I, I, we, yeah. I, we are incredible. Look, yeah. I, I was going to say the same thing. I, I've got a job that, I mean, as much as I moan and complain about my job, um, I, I think I have an awesome job, yeah. and I don't mind doing work when I'm home. So when I'm at home and I'm reading, I'm still reading for work, and I don't mind doing that. Um, and, and but if, I you could, if you had a robot that could do the bits that you don't like, yeah. uh, marking essays or, or whatever, yeah. I'm not saying that you don't like marking essays. No, but I just don't like marking essays. <laughs> <laughs> marking essays. If you had a robot that could do that for you and then um, you could just do the fun stuff, you could just do the reading and the thinking and the yeah. cool stuff. And what the radio would you, interviews. And the radio interviews. Mm-hmm. What would you spend the rest of your time doing? Oh, that's fun admin for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, uh, what would I do? I, I would probably spend more time reading and exploring, talking to colleagues. I, I love talking to my colleagues. I've got three colleagues. Uh, there's three, sorry, there's three psychologists in our school and we spent quite a bit of time where we get a bottle of wine or two and um, and we talk and I we, we've talked about what, this idea of play we, we spent time just talking nonsense um, but in while we're doing that we're sort of playing with ideas and I, I love doing that that's mm. one of my favorite things mm. to do and that's probably to the... go out for a drink with mm. friends and, mm. and talk about interesting ideas and interesting stuff which is what makes my job interesting so that's again mm. you're saying I'm privileged I, I, I am and I that's what I enjoy as being part of my job and I would continue doing that if, if it's not academics though and it's a forestry worker who has a risky difficult job um, and we could figure out a way to make it so that they can make a living on 15 hours a week which I again question whether or not we can but <sighs> Would we get bored, and what is the consequence of getting bored? Mm. Yeah, I think it's um, the way we um, structure value in the society at the moment in terms of financial success. You just get people working more, do two jobs, doing doing other stuff. Um, Unless that completely changed and that wasn't necessarily focused and we valued happiness above financial security, then then they may find more uh, spare time. My, My guess is that at the moment we're... I, it sounds a bit doom and gloom. I don't, I don't keep, like to keep going on about this, but um, yeah, the, the more we, we rely on on devices or, or technology to offer uh, entertainment for us, 
we start to lose the skills to be able to do tasks or activities that are, are really rewarding, where we achieve something, hobbies, you know, crafting something mm-hmm. with your hands, those hands-on things which I believe as humans are fundamental to the way we're built because that's the way we've existed for the majority of our existence. But when we start doing less and less of those, and especially from a younger generation who are growing up without any of that, and they're, and they're not getting their father's tool sheds anymore, they're, they're, they're all on iPads, they get up to adolescence and adulthood, and they don't have those skills to be able to find hobbies and find things um, that allow them to, to really feel a sense of achievement over uh, over something they've done that's, that was fun at the same time. Um, and that's not to say they couldn't pick it up later on, but it's just we tend to be consuming stuff as opposed to giving stuff back and offering something that we can provide. Um, so that... That would be my concern about the way society is shifting at the moment. Well, there's an entertainment industry that makes sure that we're not mm. going to be bored. Mm. I mean, there's, there's, um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm really not up to date with what's happening with TV all that much. Um, but you know, I don't know how many channels we have available to us now. I mean, there's, there's, there's always anything on. There's <laughs> always well, there is always something to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not. You, I don't think we can say that anymore that there's nothing to watch because I think there is now. I think there's a lot of good stuff being made that you can now get through Netflix, and you, you people do binge watch. They, mm. it's, it's very easy to spend four, five, six hours watching TV, and it, and it's not necessarily bad TV. Mm. Um, I, I'm addicted. To podcasts. <laughs> I'm here now, but I'm, I'm a podcast addict, and I, I'm constantly listening to podcasts. So on my way to work, um, not at work, but on my way to work when I'm doing the dishes at home. So I, again, I'm shutting myself off from things around me as well with that. But I, I, I find them incredibly entertaining, but also informative, and I think they inform my work quite a lot. So. I asked on Twitter last night um, people to tell me something that they do just for fun that has no other purpose and it was amazing how many people so, so many great answers it was it was a delightful night on social media but um it was interesting how many people said i had to think for a really long time to think of something that i do just for fun can you think of anything you do just for fun well, I, I play sport, so for me that's my outlet, although I don't do as much of it as I used to. But is the dual purpose to keep fit? No. Good, no. okay. I'm, I'm not a fitness freak. Um, in fact, I should be more of one, really, to be honest. Um, but I, I just enjoy the outlet of, of playing in a team sport. Um, with kids, I don't do as much as I would like, so I've sort of taken, I've sort of told myself, well, I can't join many teams at the moment, but I will when they grow up, which may never happen, I don't know, maybe that's dreaming. But um, that's sort of something I guess I do uh, for fun. I play video games. I'm a gamer from way back. My dad bought me a ZX Spectrum in 1982, wow. and I've never looked back. Therefore, my kids too. are gamers as well, of course. Um, so it's always a balance for me to, to make sure that they're not doing too much of that. Uh, but I also do that for just for fun. But again, that's, it is one of those things um, that I would feel much better after doing something using my body than I would after playing an hour or two of games. Um, it's just, I don't know what it is, but it's just something that isn't quite as fulfilling. You've passed the time, you've had a bit of fun doing it, but in the end you sort of feel like you wasted your time, your time a little bit, you know? And, and social media is terrible. When I'm on Facebook, and I'm not a huge Facebook user, but when I am on it, I sort of feel dirty afterwards. It's like, oh, that's an hour of time I have just flushed down the toilet. And I don't, all I've felt is, all I feel like doing is watching other people's highlight reel. Everyone's so wonderful, everyone's so great. You know, what should I be doing? What should I be, you know? And it's just, you feel like you're sort of keeping up in this high school popularity game where, um, mm. I don't find it rewarding at all, but yet it's it's attractive. I don't. It, it only takes one or two picks for you to see before you all of a sudden you're scrolling down further and there goes your time. I yeah. don't think uh, things being a waste of time is necessarily a problem though, because when you start looking at definitions of play, 
wasting time or you know it not being productive use of time is is one of the ways that they define it so yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily yeah I think probably waste is probably not the, the best word if, if you're playing and enjoying it it's not a waste because you're actually getting something out of it it's just when it's something that you do which you didn't really enjoy at the time and at the end you don't feel good about to me that feels more like a waste I would much prefer to actually play a video game because that feels at least at the time it's quite fun um, or, or play soccer or whatever you know um, I don't, you're right. Wasting is is um, not the right word. I think yeah. I don't play video games because yeah. I just don't like them. <laughs> I mean, I don't like them, and that's probably partly because I'm not just not very good at them. Yeah. Sharon, I'm going to put I'm going to put all you all of you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot first. In 50 years, so 2067, uh, it, will there be a new fun thing that we all do? And what will it be? Mm. I don't know. It's hard to imagine what it might be. I mean, it might be something very retro like knitting, which actually my mother-in-law is teaching my daughter and I used to be able to knit. But my husband and I were just talking about how actually if if my daughter or my son doesn't learn to knit, that will be, you know, a skill that will be completely gone. And so maybe it could be something very retro that um, kids look back at. Maybe we won't actually change that much. Maybe we'll still be outside, you know, playing and running around and keeping fit. And uh, maybe it won't be actually that much different to it is now, uh, to what it is now. Or maybe there'll be all sorts of new, I don't know, technologies that allow us to do things in virtual spaces with uh, virtual 3D, uh, things like that. I think it'll be virtual reality. I Mm. think we'll spend hours and hours and hours in VR. Mm. Uh, well, that's that's what I worry about. (laughs) And potentially augmented reality, taking VR outside and using it to um, actually interact with people in VR, which would be bizarre. But um, the other thing I think which could really drastically change how we live our lives is self-driving cars. Mm. Um, If that, you know, obviously that's emerging very rapidly, and if that becomes the status quo in 30 or 40 years, then all of a sudden we have leisure time while we're commuting. We have leisure time in the car, and cars could be designed very differently, not like the cars we see now, but even like boxes where you have a little room, you have a treadmill, you have your computer and, and you're doing stuff and you're oh, spending you have other time. people. So you, you have, have other people. public transport that is self-driving that you have yep. 10 other people in the car with you. Yep, you could do. Um, so that and, and that could also free up time. It would be much more efficient, so it could actually free up time for other things. It's potentially one of the big changes that we might see in the next few years, or decades at least. I'm going to go back to Eric's point uh, originally, uh, a while ago about liking to have a bottle of wine with his friends and I started with Keynes so I'm going to end with Keynes who apparently said my only regret is that I have not drunk more champagne in my life <laughs> I thought that was a delightful way to think about to think about leisure my thanks to Dr Eric Landis Professor Scott Duncan and Dr Sharon Graham Davies Great Ideas is made in collaboration with AUT our sound engineer was Jeremy Ansell and our executive producer is Tim Watkin you can find more RNZ podcasts at rnz.co.nz on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your listening fun Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. 
To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.